You're listening to episode 40 of Hear the Boots interview series. In this interview, we talk with Jim McClure. Running time for this episode is 48 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. And this is Chris. And this is Jim. Okay. <laughs> I want to be part of the group. <laughs> Jim, congratulations. You are part of the group. Yes. So, so let's back up and explain who Jim is. This is James McClure, who is the host of the Talking Tabletop podcast, which I did two episodes on, and uh, Chris something something, who cares? But is he, he related to Troy McClure, the yes. guy from The Simpsons? Yes. In fact, you might know him from such podcasts as Dragons Landing In, a <laughs> no, I don't know from that. a diary of episode one hundred. Or <laughs> can, can I, I tell you a true a true story on that? About do you lie? Uh, no, about uh, about being related to Troy McClure. Um, okay. I, I'm not. Obviously, he is a fictional cartoon character, but um, I'd like to be. But I don't introduce myself with that moniker because the first time I ever tried, like right after I'd launched uh, Talking Tabletop, I think it was a Reddit post or something of that nature. Uh, and I tried to uh, I tried to announce like, Hi, I'm Jim McClure. You know me from such podcasts as Talking Tabletop. And like the first response I got is, look at this arrogant guy expecting people to know who he is. And I was like, no, it's... It's a reference to something that was something. And so now I never do it because of fear that, that people don't get that reference anymore. And then they'll just hate you. And then they'll just hate me, yes, because I'm just some random, arrogant person, yes, who who thinks he's important enough people should know who he is. How long has Phil Hartman been dead? What, 10, 15 years? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. He, he's been dead for a while now. But no, I think that person just kind of humiliated themselves. I don't think you have anything to be reticent about. I think they just kind of their own ignorance to be honest with you but okay so jim does the talking tabletop podcast where he basically talks to folks that are involved in the rpg industry whether it's media whether it's writing games whatever and sort of gets an after hour sort of lounge type chat going with them and i did a two-parter with him and i think chris you've been on there twice because uh Jim couldn't find real guests, or I, I don't know. What, what, <laughs> well, what it was, yeah, he either couldn't find real guests, or he was just that desperate. And then, so, yeah, somebody, you know, jumped up from the Twitter morass that is RPG Twitter and said, pick me! Yeah, <laughs> heavy on the okay. morass. And, so, uh... So can I defend Chris, like, finally, because no one on this show does? Um, <laughs> please, I'm certainly not going please to do it. I have more than once said a nice thing about Chris on the mics. I'm, I'm not, pretty so sure that's go, a lie. I have spoken, No, it's not a lie! I have spoken fondly of his game mastering a couple times. All right. A couple. Oh, thank you. All Chris right, is a, a wonderful, fascinating individual, and he's the only person that I've had on my show twice because he is so fascinating. Dan, you were, of course, wonderful, and we did a wonderful two-part episode with you. That's why I'm – and, of course, I'm a, a regular listener of Fear the Boot, uh, so that's why I'm so happy to actually be here because it's like, hey, I get to hang out with all of my favorite people and Brodor. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and, and let me guess. If I had human emotion, I would be hurt, but eh, <laughs> <laughs> As if Chris, you had human it, emotion, you wouldn't be Brodor. Has <laughs> Chris been back on your show since I was on there? Ooh, I don't remember. Yeah. I know I know his second one was recorded before yours, and but see, be, because you know, of release schedules, I don't remember if it came out after okay, or not. I don't remember. But, but here's the lesson from that. 
once you go dis, you never go Chris. <laughs> and you Put had, had dis, so you, there's no more Chris. And you were worried about an ego. <laughs> well, I, no, I, son, this is fact, right? <laughs> if I quote you statistics about Niagara Falls, it's not because Niagara Falls has an ego. It really is Niagara Falls, all right? So... <laughs> My favorite part is that he called you son. (laughs) (laughs) I really am the man in RPG podcasts that won't go away and whose last name is a Scrabble disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I now have this wonderful image of at at some point in the distant future, Dan is just going to be sitting on a rocking chair, I presume at a convention somewhere, and he's like, gather around, children. Let me tell you about a time before podcasts. And he just shares knowledge with everyone and calls everyone son. Let me tell you guys about a time when Paul Tevis was relevant. (laughs) <laughs> who <laughs> and then you'll have Stu from happy jacks bringing you your drink yes and my mm-hmm. and and he'll be playing on my fish <laughs> all right so anyways james we've got you on for a couple of reasons one is just to bs with you because you're a great guy to talk to so that's why we had to bring you on alongside chris was we need something good on the remote side But also, right now, you are doing a Kickstarter for a project that I don't remember if this made it into the the episode that we cut or not. But I know something that you and I talked about uh, when I was doing the show with you over on your podcast, which is a role-playing game called Satanic Panic. And I'll link to the Kickstarter for this in the show notes. But the setup of Satanic Panic is it kind of reminds me of this inspector-ish or Ghostbusters kind of game. And the premise of it is that you're in the 1980s and all of the worst fears about role-playing games and satanic ritual abuse and rock and roll music and all the things that people were freaked out about in the 80s are completely 100% true. Absolutely. the Jack Chick Tract, which for anyone's not read it still, Dark Dungeons, I'll link that in the show notes, is 100% factual that you could actually summon demons from the DMG and you can learn to throw fireballs from the player's handbook and whatever. And the setup is that you are private investigators and concerned parents and police that are going out and hunting down these aberrant miscreants that are destroying our society. Jim, is that about the right of it? What am I missing? That, that is that is ninety five percent dead on. The the only thing that's a little bit different is uh, I I took it to the next level and didn't just go with with social activist groups. I went if this was actually a threat, the government would be handling it. So you actually play government agents as part of a secret government organization that is tasked with containing, controlling, and eliminating tabletop. But other than that, spot on, sir. So a lot of people have been jumping at the idea of the setting. But what I found really interesting when I was looking at the Kickstarter was less the setting and more the actual way you describe the game. The it did sound kind of inspectors like to me as well, having played inspectors, but I'm looking through and you have the uh that chart on there, the the circle, and describe it as very episodic. Yes. 
Okay. Um, so if if we're if we're getting into the the, the nitty gritty as far as what what satanic panic is, because there's there's a few aspects that we are looking at here. One being, of course, the setting itself, because the setting is absurd. You know, obviously wonderful satire. It is it is a Jack Chick track come to life apparently. And actually, remind me later. I have a, a wonderful and horrible story about Jack Chick related to this too. The setting is of course wonderful and interesting. But then we get into the mechanical design of this game, uh, and I'm one of those people that I on my creative juices like I have to work in sort of my own system I got to have my own clay I can't do a power by the apocalypse or a fate game I need to I need to have my own thing um, so that way I can really work and craft it to tell the story that I want to tell uh, and the the gameplay experience Experience that I'm trying to give with Satanic Panic, aside from the wonderful satirical fun, is the fact of uh, you are you are these government agents, and in every movie that we ever see involving government agents, they're actually like really really powerful. They show up and just annihilate whatever the problem is. It, it's guns, boom, they're dead. The next time people come back to the diner, like everything's cleaned up, and whatever happened to George, we don't have a clue. And I wanted to to sort of capture that feeling, so I designed a mechanical system that actually works where you as the players are the most powerful thing in the world 80% of the time. There's a few things that are that are more powerful than you out in the world, but most of the time you are more powerful than what you're fighting, but what you actually have That's to do... It. The first time you, I play this game, I'm naming my character Sex Panther. <laughs> <laughs> Codename Sex Panther. I love it. So what you actually have to do is you have to limit yourself in how much power you want to use in a situation because if you go overboard, you cause collateral damage, which then has issues further down the road. And if if, if we, we are so inclined, we can have the boring mechanical conversation of how awesome the system is that I love. See, that to me isn't boring because when I read it, that's what jumped out at me. And I was thinking about all of the games that would be interesting in a system like this. I was thinking Ghostbusters. That was exactly what reminded me of. I was thinking Men in Black. Because, Jim, the way that you described it was that when you go to do something, you have a die pool, and you roll dice against the task, and you want the right number of successes, because too few successes, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, too few successes, you fail, but too many successes, and you did so well that you left behind collateral damage that will get held against you as you go into future missions. And what immediately came to mind was a Ghostbusters franchise-style game where you go in to catch the ghost, but think like the ballroom scene in the first Ghostbusters movie, you have done so much damage that it actually hurts the reputation of your franchise as you go into your next job. Yeah, and the system is kind of almost set up for that type of play. Maybe I should just scrap the Kickstarter and go Ghostbusters. I think that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, work, I'll work on that licensing in the next week. Hopefully, we can get it together. To give you the, the, the whole scope, all right, we're talking about, let's just, just give the whole picture real quick. The core mechanic of the game is, is what I I call it is a four-spoke core mechanic. If you go to the Kickstarter, there's a nice little graphic that someone who actually has has talent and can design things made because I sure don't have that. But the four-spoke core mechanic is at our 
top spoke is you roll dice to eliminate the problem in front of you, whether that be a social interaction, whether that be shooting it in the face, whatever the case may be. Our top spoke is you roll dice to eliminate the thing. And then if we follow around the wheel, our, our, our east spoke, our right spoke, if you will, as we go clockwise around the wheel, is if you roll too high you deal collateral damage. And you don't want to deal collateral damage because we continue down to our, our south spoke. Collateral damage affects your team budget. And your team budget affects our last spoke, our fourth spoke, buying equipment before missions. And you use equipment to roll dice to handle your problems. So what you have is a situation where it, it is essentially a long-form feedback loop. A lot of board games have very, very short, tight feedback loops. This is a feedback loop that goes on a mission cycle. So you have something in front of you. Let's say it, it's an evil tabletop, or he has horrible red glowing eyes, and we have to obliterate him because he's a horrible monster who doesn't deserve to be on our plane of existence, right? So Brodor. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, perfect, yeah. Um, well, I, I am a living example that everything that he's done with this role-playing game is actually true. It's ruined me. Yeah. Okay, so we, we've got we've got a level four Brodor in front of us, okay? <laughs> That's some bullshit. Level four? <laughs> the scale better only go to five. Le- le- <laughs> we, we, we won't cover that part right now, but I'm sticking with level four. Level four Brodor in front of us. We want to eliminate him. I, with my, my M16, can choose to roll really an absurd amount of dice, as many as I want. Uh, and the other thing that happens in the system is you always hit. There's no roll to hit. That, I, that's, that's archaic. We're done with that. Uh, you roll dice, and whatever you roll, you deal damage, okay? So I can roll anywhere from 1d8 to 10d8 damage. My choice. Do whatever you want. But anything I roll above 12 is going to deal collateral damage. So if I roll 20... I still deal 20 points of damage to him, but I deal 8 points of collateral damage. Every mission has a mission card that starts out, which it gives you an allowance. Like, how much it's worth to the team to do this. Like, how much your, your agency puts it on. Like, this mission's this important. You can deal 50 points of collateral damage. At the end of the mission, if you're below that number, your team budget increases. If you're above that number, your team budget decreases. So what you have in combat is this constant choice of how much am I worried about the thing directly in front of me killing me? And how much am I worried about the long-term consequences of this individual role? And that's sort of the core play experience. It sounds a lot like in a lot of ways it, it has almost certain board game elements. I mean, obviously, you know, in listening to the podcast, clearly there's, there's plenty of role playing that goes on in here and how all of that kind of shakes out, but it appears to be like some, some almost like some certain hardcore, almost strategic board game things kind of going on. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I, I found it fascinating that for so long we have, we have watched over the last five years, the board game industry has exploded. It is huge. It is leaps and bounds above anything that we've ever seen it be in the past before. And of course, everything's cyclical and that'll last a period of time. But I believe the reason has been the board game industry has been very inventive in what it's decided to do. And the games that are making and what it's trying to do, it has really gone above and beyond. And I think that attributes to its success. And one of the big things they're doing is they are pulling these role play aspects from role playing games into board games. We're starting to see that creep. And the whole time I'm sitting here going, I go, well, why in the world isn't this working the other direction? You know, we, we play RPGs. The last letter of that is game. You know, we don't need just a total cerebral experience. We need mechanics. We need things that we can engage with. Um, and, and for that reason, I started looking at some of these mechanic style systems that board games use and, and 
incorporating that a little bit in in certain designs or you can go the opposite direction in my previous Kickstarter reflections that is just like total you know a theater of the mind type style play so you can go either direction but with satanic panic I was like let's let's start working some of these concepts into tabletop and the right ones that'll put people in the state of mind that we want them to be role playing in I have want to run this at fear the con just to have a level four brodor yeah, we actually, Dan and I were talking about that the other night as well. That you know would be that would be a great place to do some play testing, if you will. Yeah, the big villain at the end would be a level twelve, Dan. <laughs> you start with the level four Brodor, and you work, your, so you work your way up to a level twelve, Dan. Right, it's a classic dungeon troll to the big boss. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm a f-ing gatekeeper. Thanks, Dan. Hey, thanks, Jim. <laughs> Jim, what made you decide to focus kind of on this particular? I can't say genre, but this this background. I mean, what brought this up? Was there like personal experiences that you had? Was it something that just amused the hell out of you when you used to read about it? Or, you know, I mean, obviously, clearly it is ripe for, for, for gaming and continued gaming as opposed to just, you know, a few one shots here and there. But what so what what brought it about? You know, it, it, it's an interesting thing because there's a little bit of both in that regard. Um, oddly enough, I don't have like the big eureka moment on this one. It, it was just something I had been toying with in my mind for a while about, you know, it, like, hey, this would be an interesting idea. And what was it a couple years ago? Dark Dungeons, the movie came out at the, the Gen Con. I think it, it debuted at the Gen Con Film Festival, right? I, I believe the- so. I mean, well, it played there. I know that much. Yeah, it certainly played there. Yeah. So, you know, that that was in my mind um, and some other things. And at some point, the idea came up of, yeah, hey, wouldn't this be a fun game to play? Like, ha, 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 it's very meta and all that. And then I started thinking about it more and more and what I wanted to do with that play experience. And I was going, I, there's nothing that really grabs me in a current system. I, I want a couple things to be cool. Like, I want there to be a D20 in the middle of the table that you never want to touch. But every now and then you have to re-roll it because the worst possible thing you can do is roll a D20, right? Like, that's horrible. You know, and some certain <laughs> things like that, uh, which is another mechanic of the game. There, there's called the D20, which sits in the middle of the table. And if it ever hits 20, all hell breaks loose. And literally, it's written in the book. It, it's GM Fiat to try and actively kill your players. But, you know, I so I wanted, I wanted some of the, this kind of fun stuff. So that ended Not up leading to... Not their characters, the actual players. The absolutely. actual players. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it says it in the book, murder your players. Yes, absolutely. That's in, it, it gets really mad at Yes, if, if your character dies, yeah. you die. It's one of those If games. you back at least the $100 level, you get a gun with the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it was a bold choice on my end. I don't think it's going to financially pay off, but I think I think artistically it was a good choice on my end for that. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like there's certain government agencies that are going to be happy with me shipping 100 guns across the country. But yeah, hey, that's future eh, problems. You know, yeah. So <laughs> how many real-world groups do you make blatant or satirical nods to in this game? You ask the right question, don't you? Yeah, do you include... Some kind of left-handed reference to like Tipper Gore or or like Bad or Patricia Pulling or the Steam Tunnels or any of these things that were real hallmarks of that era. I won't ruin everything, but I, w- I will say this: there there are there are definitely uh, a few I think really really good ones. The the one I will spoil is. 
Uh, th- there's an organization uh, within in sort of the fiction, um, a-, a name you all have never heard before, called the TSR. And uh, I was ringing a bell. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never. It, it, it's just I, p- I pulled it out of the ether at some point. But the TSR actually is like the worst thing possible for you to encounter in the game. There are TSR agents that sort of are treated like agents from the Matrix. Like when you <laughs> run into them, it's like mission aboard, get out. Something's gone horribly, horribly wrong. And it's not explained in the book because it's up to the the, the GM to give them room to make motivations, but the TSR is the ones who are actively spreading tabletop, but they're not tabletop players, which means they still have constitutional rights. Whereas if you become a tabletop, once you roll a d20, there's actually a secret government law that's been passed that says you're, you're no longer a person, and that's why you can just straight straight murder Brilliant. death them. <laughs> yes, so, you know, it, it's yeah. If you've rolled a d20, you're no longer a human. You're you're, you're a horrible, is there horrible, like some horrible kind of evil hacking group. That's the GURP cyberpunk group. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say, the, the head of the TSR organization is is the big four, and I'll let you fill in the other names, but uh, you know, one, of course, is, is the Mad Wizard Gygax, um, and all four of them make up a party. It, it's your wizard, your paladin, your fighter, your rogue as the big four. So that, that's one of, the, one of the things that's in there in the book. No cleric, of course. Well, I guess you could have a cleric. Wait, how could you have a paladin? Because they can't possibly be lawful good. They're <laughs> their clearly world, they chaotic are. evil. You can have chaotic evil paladins. Well, it's it's a matter of perspective. Book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, in their perspective, they're doing everything right. Man, I, if, I'm, if I ever run this game, the creation of splat books is going <laughs> to be like a, a psyop or whatever against role players. Like we're going to destroy their hobby. And our primary points <laughs> of entry, diluting and diluting and diluting. diluting yeah, it, it's going to be tested It's going to be yeah. unplay tested BS. It's going to be splat books. It's going to be terrible <laughs> settings. It's going to be pretty much the entire Palladium right, universe. The, <laughs> so here's here's how it, you it's going to be like the original hero system, which gets role players out of the game because they they have no idea how to even play it. <laughs> But well, they can't even lift the book. Yeah, they can't lift the book. They're not strong enough. They're, they're the, like these atrophied, <laughs> like, dune navigators who are... So here's how you know. It's, it's a remarkable idea. And what surprises me is that... Butt sex? Oh, that's never a surprise. I was going to make an anal joke, but f*** it. <laughs> no, but wow. I shouldn't have laughed. No, that was masterful. In, that in was all seriousness, though... I have to say, I am surprised that this has not yet been done before. Right? Because right? it's such a good idea. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like an ass kisser, but it really <laughs> is a great idea. So much so that when I was watching the Kickstarter video last night, I was showing it to my wife, and we were talking about our particular you know, Sunday night gaming group and the people in our group who would really, really enjoy playing this game. So I think that when my current Dungeons & Dragons game is over... I think that we're going to hunt those same players. <laughs> well, nice. that, that, that's one of the expected things of play. Like as I was making this, I I suddenly had a realization. I was, I was typing on the computer as 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 happens when you you have to write a hundred thousand words. I just stopped and I was like, everyone who plays this game is going to put their group that has to be murdered. Yep. I was yeah. like, that's <laughs> it, just going to happen. I know, like, I just it, keep it, typing. There, that will never not happen. If you come after me in the game, I should be statted out. As like something like a really, really powerful wizard that has this like en- enchanting or, or charming level voice power, but <laughs> is also about as well armed as like a Ruby Ridge standoff sort of thing. <laughs> and so you have to contend with both of those. 
you have no idea how sad I am that that unfortunately because of the setting era it is a pre-podcast world. I'm like, ah, oh, I want to I want to make all of the references, but well, if there's a level where you can back there where you can put a character into the game, I want you to know that somehow I'm going to stick Gnarl in there <laughs> and he's going to be working for this government agency just completely pretending not to be an old. Are you kidding? We have an entire we have an entire adventure while we're where we're hunting a module where there is a spell to summon Gnarl out of the module. Right? <laughs> yes. And so we as nice. the agents He's are like Gozer. To, right, right. So we know we know that there's a we know that there's a game writer out there who's written this module that he's trying to get from point A to point B to get published, and we need to stop and kill him before Gnarl actually gets summoned. Because this guy is I mean is a lonely lonely home who lives in his mom's basement, right? So he doesn't have a game group. So he has to get it to publication and spread it disseminate it out to the various right. game groups of the world yes so someone will it, it's going to be like was it halloween two or three with the mask well, it was three that was yeah. three so it's yeah, going to be like halloween three yeah. yeah it was a terrible movie but it's going to be the same kind of thing except he's trying to like they're going to be like screaming you know like stop the truck stop the trucks turn off the channels <laughs> and it, there's one go still left and in the last moment of the game is Narl rolling up. And- I just have a beautiful image of of agents on a ridge looking down at a truck that's leaving the publishing house, <laughs> getting just hit by a bazooka truck <laughs> blowing up, and gnarl modules sprinkling everywhere, <laughs> falling like rain from the sky. Yeah, I'm so excited about this game. I can't even tell. All you. right, so I got to ask you though. So James, when I first heard about this game, I was thinking, you know, inspector size book. This is 200 pages. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I just got to ask, what is in the 200 pages? It is a full medium crunch system, which is a term that I hate, and I, I really should stop saying it because I, I don't care for it at all. But th- 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 because it doesn't make any, a fu- it's a full medium crunch? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, now I hate Chris again. Why did we invite him? <laughs> We're back to Sex Panther. It's, it's, it's com- you know, 60% of the time, the rules work 100% of the time. That's right. <laughs> It's all balls out medium crunch. <laughs> yeah, this is the that best is, I'm that on the Kickstarter tonight. That we- yes, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent balls out medium crunch. I love it. Um, no, I mean, I mean, th- this, this is like a Taco Bell. That's item. a that's a back <laughs> Taco Bell there. All right, so colors of Wade. Wade and I are both like this should be on the menu at Taco Bell. <laughs> medium crunch, full right medium crunch. <laughs> Oh, oh, you're you're going to go the PG route. Okay, I, I was going to yeah. pitch the full Monty to Taco Bell tomorrow, but <laughs> no, that's okay. No. Okay, so so what is in these 200 pages? It is a full full system. This isn't a you know small like hey here's a simple you know resolution mechanic. You know we we talked about the core resolution mechanic that's in there, uh, but as well as that, there's an entire investigation side mechanic to it that has a a local panic level. So as you interact with the local community, they get more and more disturbed by your actions, which then causes issues from there. You've you've got things like there's an entire exorcism mini game that's part of it where you're trying to exercise demons out of people the, the whole devil be gone devil be gone there's an entire uh, interrogation system as well as of course you have the entire uh, skill progression of all the different character classes and then you have of course all of your other stuff that's in you know a uh, a, a book like this uh, which is you know how you play the game all your character classes everything like that and then there's going to be a wonderful how to GM section uh, because this game you have to you have to know what you're doing and to go in with a, a practice level of GMing, you know, again, there is, uh, you're playing a concept where your players can essentially all 
always win. You have to know that and you have to know, you know, some idea of how to run a game in that stance because really as a GM, what you're working with with the players is not let me make a challenge that's hard for them to beat. You're going, let me make a challenge that's going to wear down the, the team's hit points because hit points recover slowly. Let me make a challenge that's going to wear down their amount of collateral damage that they can spend. Let me challenge them in these different ways. So of course there's going to be the, the GM advice section and because I hate generic GM advice sections, it's going to be a, hey, you've played tabletop, you know how to do this, wonderful, great. Here's how you run Satanic Panic. So there are character classes. Oh, yeah, there there are. had to be, right? Of course. What would a character class for something like this be? Uh, oh, there, there's five of them, yes. So you're, you're five character classes, and, and it's a, a skill tree branch-off thing that you do uh, to sort of advance them. Uh, but you've got your, your soldier, which is, of course, pretty straightforward, the, the ones that are the, the best with the guns. Uh, you've got your tactician, um, which is sort of your your support. You know, they have a lot of a lot of team support mechanics to them to, to help controlling sort of battlefield areas. You have your exorcist, uh, which, of course, is the person that allows you to remove demons from people as well as they can control the... The demonic forces that are out there. Um, who am I missing? Oh, the uh, Inquisitor, uh, which is like your social, your, your face of the group, the person that, that sort of apologizes and makes good when you do horrible, horrible things like blow <laughs> holes in the side of houses. And then you have the reformed tabletopper, the ultimate hypocrisy, which is you have taken a tabletopper and made him work for you. So the, those I are your, your five basic classes. So moving away from the game just a little bit, but yet somewhat related to what you're doing now. I mean, because obviously you've had the podcast and now you're branching into actually publishing games, this being your, your, your second one. And you're kind of famously, you know, for those who listen to your show, they've heard you say many times, you know, that role-playing games are the highest art form known to man. So how do you feel then that you're contributing to that particular art form, you know, which you so kind of so boldly claim? I mean, is it, I mean, do you feel then that the that the games that you're working on and the things that you're contributing, because taking away from just sitting down and having a a, a role playing session, because that's that's all individual arts, and but I mean this is this is more exposure to a wider audience. Do you feel that this kind of stuff and these kind of games that you're seeing are proper contributions to that art form? You, Chris, you ask good questions. Um, no, it I think we, we. It takes me a while to get there, but eventually I I, uh, I, I get there. I, I, I we were all you, wondering. You, <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's going on the second minute of asking the question. I hope there's not a follow-up. Because when, when you started, I thought you were going like, what, what, what direction are you going with your, your career within the hobby? And I was going to clearly answer that, well, I'm, I'm positioning myself for when Brodor eventually, not eventually, very soon gets kicked out of Fear the Boot, that I'll be like right here to maybe be able to get into that slot, uh, which is, of course, what we're really doing here today. But to, to your question, I have to be like less cheeky and more serious, I guess. Yeah, I, I do. I, I have this absurd claim that I do legitimately believe in. That is, tabletop is the highest form of art known to mankind. I love tabletop. Tabletop. tabletop is amazing. It is a special and unique art form all to its own. Um, as far as what I'm, I'm trying to do. I've, I've wanted to be a game designer since I was 10 years old. You know, that's, that's, that's what I did. Little, little homeschooled Jim was sitting in his bed from, uh, seven o'clock a.m. to 10 o'clock a.m. essentially every morning writing out games before I even know what role playing was. That's, that's what I did as a kid. That's what I always wanted to be. And then, then I grew up and I put on a suit and I became corporate Jim and, and a business consultant, but I've always wanted to design games. That's what I want to do. As far as what I, I feel I'm adding to the hobby, I make the games that I want to play that I can't find. Uh, you know, Brodor said it earlier, I, I had the exact same thought. I go, how does this game not exist? As soon as I thought it up, 
I spent a ridiculous amount of time going, someone had to make this game somewhere. Like, how did it not exist? And it, it doesn't. So then I went, all right, well, I guess I got to make the game. Um, you know, similar to uh, Reflections had a little bit of a, of a different story to it, but that'll tie into your question. Reflections is the game that I made prior to this one, um, that I, I kickstarted it last year. And it, it's Reflections, the game of dueling samurai. It, it is a two-person RPG that plays in an hour, uh, about two samurai that are going to duel to the death. And the onus of that game was, uh, it was actually inspired weirdly. And now I'm sounding like a Chris store. I'm going all over the place. It was weirdly inspired by the movie Up, the Pixar movie. Yes, we, we, we all have hopefully seen this wonderful film. Yeah, the most uh, depressing because- movie ever. Yes, in the <laughs> first five minutes of that movie, they make you feel for characters. And it's amazing. It is glorious. And I went, so in five minutes, we can get emotional attachment. Up has proven it. We can do that with storytelling. So how can I translate that to tabletop? And I'm I'm not Pixar. I'm not good enough to do it in five minutes. But I go, you know what? I can make a system that I can guarantee you in an hour you're going to have an emotional experience. And that was that was the design process that went into Reflections. That was what, what I felt it was adding to the tabletop community of, you want the feel of epicness? You don't need five sessions. You don't need 20 sessions. I'll give it to you in an hour. Here, take this book, read it in an hour. I guarantee you'll feel something. For Satanic Panic, uh, we started, with, of course, with, with the, the, the wonderful, fun, haha idea of, of this being, you know, ridiculous and absurd. And then I went, let's take standard tabletop mechanics, what we would expect to see in D&D, what we'd expect to see in Pathfinder. Let's start adding some of these modern game design sensibilities to it. Let's get rid of roll for hit. You always hit. Why not? Let's, let's do it. Let's make that happen. Let's actually make every choice have a consequence. Let's have it all feed back into each other. Let's not make you the weakling starting out. Let's make you the most powerful thing that there is and run a game where you have to control your own power and all that's neatly tied together. So Satanic Panic is is working on on top of the, the, the wonderful fun premise of let's start expanding what we're doing and how we're doing what we do at the game table. I want to know how you're going to handle the inevitable meta event when some people playing your game actually do get a little too overboard or some mistakes get made and one of them does kill another in the steam tunnels (laughs) and then the actual real police have to get involved to investigate an actual real role-playing game related murder that was done doing your role-playing game which is about this very concept and watching them try to unpack that the same people and the same brilliance that was brought to bear against the very real investigation into GURPS cyberpunk as a guide to computer terrorism, which is a real thing, by the way, if you didn't know that happened. And watching that group of Keystone Cops try to unpack all the layers of meta, all the, the, the <laughs> fractals going down there to... Somebody actually used satanic panic in a horrific manner. And Jim, I want to know when you are sitting there yep. at the FBI mm-hmm. headquarters and, you know, where is Quantico or whatever, wherever they've got you, where they have you squirreled away, what are you going know to tell them? Oh, I know exactly how this is going to play out. I'm my my feet are literally tingly with excitement already to be at this deposition. Like, ah, oh, this would be the best deposition I'd ever been at. Um, <laughs> I, I would I would sit there 
like the cockiest son of a bitch in the world. And and it would be it would be very unbecoming because like clearly someone actually died and this is a horrible story. But 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 Jim gets to have have a moment here. Um and I would sit there and I would give them the smallest piece of information with every question that they ask just so they have to continually shake their head and go it to another level deeper. So they go, I I think it would be better if you just look them straight in the eye, unblinking, eyes wide as you can get them, and just say, God damn it, I tried to warn you. <laughs> <laughs> just a hundred percent straight faced. Oh yes. my god, it would be great. <laughs> Oh, I love it! I love it. Either that, or I will. I will blame it on on Jack Chick. I, I, they will say they were, they were possessed by the soul of Jack Chick. That's what happened. Jack Chick's vengeful soul. <laughs> the, oh, can I tell you? I told you earlier. I have a I have a, a story about him. This is this is terrible. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Chick show. Yeah, yeah. Hear this. Oh, now, now we're getting to terrible Jim. Okay, so uh, on top of we've talked a little bit about talking tabletop, the other podcast I did, but I've I've been doing a a four month play test actually of this game over on the One Shot Podcast Network too called Satanic Panic. So you can go over there and listen to all of the absurd nonsense fun that we have on that. But I literally when we were recording those episodes, I did a bit where I did Jack Chicken. I did him like a Ned Flanders type character. I don't know why, but it, I, I I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but it never went to air because three days after I recorded that, he died. And I freaked out. I was like, a piece of me still believes that I killed Jack Chick. I know he was like 95 years old. You've seen but- your... your- Dungeons and Dragons powers. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I did. So that, then I got the crazy idea, and I go, oh, I don't know. I, go, I think it might be worth the lawsuit. I'm not entirely sure, but I go, I really, in in, in the front of that book, want to put something of like, uh, th- this book was made by infusing the soul of Jack Chick, the only thing that could make it powerful enough to stop tabletop. You need tabletop. to put, okay, all right, you need to put some, it can be a stretch goal or a backer level. I don't care what it is, right? Stretch goal can even be one that's fairly close to where you're at now, where at that level, you will put a dedication in the front of the book to Jack Chick. Well, I don't think a dedication... Yeah, that that, that can't warrant a lawsuit, just a simple dedication. A simple dedication. I mean, you can dedicate it to whatever you want. Would it violate any laws to have as a stretch goal buying a box of the tracks and putting one (laughs) in each book? Well, dude, I'm telling you. When I run this game, when I get my copy, I need to order some of those because I need to have them ready. <laughs> we should just order them for Fear of the Cod to give out to everybody I, coming in. I concur. I wanted to. You could even get them personalized with like your organization mm-hmm. information on the back. And so I was going to com- just create this fictitious church of Fear the Boot <laughs> or something like that. I, I, was, I need to come up with a more convincing name. I haven't figured out what it is yet. And it's just going to have like our website information and stuff like that on there and hand these out at Gen Con or at, at Fear the Con or I don't know what, but hand them out somewhere. But so, out of curiosity, does the book have any actual like a quick rundown of the, the history of the events? Because, you know, we're all old enough or at least I knew nothing you know, about that's, it. That's I've heard about question. it. There's a lot of younger gamers that will yeah. have no idea mm-hmm. who he is. Because the Satanic Panic, I mean, it really kind of stretched from the late 70s, peaking in the 80s, and then kind of dying off in the early 90s. Yeah, I never knew so, anything about it until I got into the hobby. Yeah, you've got people. Yeah, you've got people that are either new to the hobby, or quite frankly, I mean, I, I know this is going to make us feel old, but they're going to Gen Con and such, and they were born. After the Satanic Panic was over, 
I mean, this has mm-hmm. never been part of their life. It is an interesting question, and the design decision has been, no, I'm not going to do it, and I'll tell you the reason why. Um, it is the the satanic panic that I, I present in the book is a very clearly fictitious thing. It, it, it starts out with somewhere in the Midwest, an old wizard made a deal with the devil, and that brought the first 20-sided artifact into the world. You know, there, there's things within the canon, like uh, modern technology is not capable of making a 20-sided shape. Uh, so d- <laughs> d- tw- D20s can only exist when they're brought from the other side. So it's, like, it's, it's, like, it's like this Hellraiser sort of. Yeah, exactly. What, what are those things Lamar called? box. Yeah, yeah. It's like this yeah. Hellraiser kind of like thing that can't exist in three dimensions (laughs) exactly so it's like within that ingrained lore i went it's gonna be really difficult and i think maybe a little bit jarring especially those actually that aren't familiar to go here's all the stuff oh and then here's the section on what really happened like i just mm, i i feel like that would end up causing more confusion so i decided not to go that route but i did seriously consider it for a while and i'm not a lawyer obviously but i think that one could theoretically cause some difficulty because if you didn't research it very carefully, anything that you presented there, since it would be presented as a real history, if it's off or even if somebody simply believes it to be off, you know, they could come at you on defamation or I, I don't know. Maybe I'm dead wrong. But well, there is there is kind of an appeal to just of the of having that, you know, almost cartoonish approach. The nice part about it is it gives GMs a lot of flexibility to kind of create kind of the mythology a little bit on their own um and they and if they want to take real world elements within their own games well then they can just go ahead and, and do that you know like good gms should they borrow you know what's real and 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 adapt it see here's what i want to do now is i want to get some first edition D books like some old beat up battered copies and i totally want to rip off kenneth height and the dracula dossier and i want to highlight and annotate and put you know old folded up you know pieces of graph paper dungeons and actually have an artifact at the table for my players right and just fill it with clues and Dude, hints about the no, campaign the, the origins <laughs> role playing games according to ken height the the meta ken height story is ken height put out what is quote unquote a uh, nonfiction book about the relationship between the Nazis and the occult. There is no way you can look at this book, which is just called the I, Nazi I, cult. I have, I have a copy. Yeah. I, yeah. There's no way you can look at it and not see this role-playing game supplement. I mean, down to it even has character archetype pictures and it's crazy. It's there's, fantastic. Yes. There's, and we confronted him about this and he swears it's not. And I believe he is totally lying. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way it's not a role-playing game supplement. And so I wonder if all these lost arts, because, you know, they think the first D20s appeared somewhere, ancient Rome, maybe ancient Egypt, you know, goes pretty damn far back. And I wonder if this was something that, like, the Nazis rediscovered in their archaeological (laughs) digs, that that role-playing games once existed. Like in the really, Can really you just see the Africa core and some, you know, uncovering some temple yes. in the desert. That they find like some... and then just the tiny hollow echo inside the chamber of the D twenty falling out of the ether and clattering onto the, yes. know, onto the stone floor. And the first man that sees it goes mad <laughs> and, and has to be. And it's like they they find it in this chamber with all these like twelve foot tall skeletons and. 
just otherworldly things like I mean, it's just straight Old Testament stuff is going on in this place. And for and, some reason, there's a crown royal bag in one of the skeletons. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and it, and it carbon dates to thousands of years before the crown royal company ever came into existence. And yet there it is. And there's a D20 inside of it. And the first man to look at it goes mad looking at it. And it, it, but it's totally the Nazis that bring it back. <laughs> and, and when he is in his bunker right before he commits suicide, Hitler, realizing that he has lost, decides that he will destroy the world and return by unleashing role playing games <laughs> upon the decadent West and the Bolsheviks. <laughs> and you know, Ken the, the, Hyde tried to warn us. <laughs> All right, two, two, two things on listen. that. Two things on I, that. For, who first, told you this was going to happen? I told you this was going to happen. First, I, I am ashamed of myself because I have gotten this far into designing Satanic Panic, and I have made no reference at all that the D20s can only be carried in a Crown Royal bag. Like, I don't know how I, I missed that. Oh, I am ashamed that I missed that. Um, so that's got to be in there. And th- then, okay, can, can I tell this so that hopefully people will do this to Ken Height? Yes. Um, just yes. because I, th- I think it'll be funny. Uh, I, I actually know Ken pretty good. He wrote a supplemental uh, setting for my Reflections, the Samurai book I talked about earlier, actually. Uh, both Ken Height and John Wick wrote for that. So I, I, I know I know Ken pretty well. Uh, so th- this is a story happened with uh, Ken at, at Metatopia. Uh, and anyone that's dealt with Ken kind of knows you know, wh- what his personality is. But I was sitting there, and some random person asked a question about a game. What was your, you know, what, what do you think the best corruption mechanic in the system was? Some stupid question. And Ken Height said, uh, call Cthulhu. And I immediately laughed and I went, he's saying that because he wrote the game. And he went, I didn't write Call of Cthulhu. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's doing the Ken thing. And I'm like, what the hell do you, I go, you wrote Call of Cthulhu. What the hell are you talking about? So then I'm Googling on my phone and he's pretending like I has no idea what I'm talking about. I go, you wrote Trail of Cthulhu. Okay. How horrible, horrible mistake. I'm sorry. So now when I introduce Ken Height to people, here's what I do. I go, oh yeah, you, you got to know Ken Height. He wrote Call of Cthulhu. He wrote both, uh, Star Wars role playing games and he wrote Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> And he hates it so much. He hates it so much. I think you can find this in in the edit history of one of the two articles. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. But when we interviewed Monty Cook while we were talking to him, I think it was Chad. It was Chad. Was editing the Wikipedia page and attributed him as the inventor. Like he was the agricultural like genetic hybridizer that invented the tree that yields the clementine orange. And <laughs> and it, it took them a while to catch that. And there's a short debate in the Wikipedia talk section about whether, in fact, Monty Cook was involved <laughs> in hybridizing the clementine orange. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's he so edited good. it on his phone while we were interviewing him. Yes. <laughs> So that phone got edit banned from Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, we, need, we need more of that nonsense. We need way more of that nonsense in the world. It was up for almost a week, too. I know. Before somebody finally caught it, it's like, I don't think that Monty Cook was <laughs> the discussion on it. I mean, just the fact that it wasn't a long discussion. And I think remember correctly, he didn't even all. say Clementines. He referred to him as Tidy Oranges. I don't even remember. 
<laughs> you, you know there was a Clementine expert sitting in his living room, I assume smoking a pipe, um, who just was, was browsing and was like, no, no, this cannot stand, and, and, and mixed that nonsense. I guarantee that's how that happened. So other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you enjoy the show? <laughs> I was about to say, where the hell do we go from there? Chris, I'm gonna, he said something funny. I'm going to have to remember that. <laughs> You'll just edit it out like anything else. I don't edit the show. <laughs> he doesn't that is true. I, Chris's joke might actually make it in for yeah, a change. This might actually make it into the show. All right. Hey, what do you know? So check the show notes for the Kickstarter to Satanic Panic. And also, once again, I, I will link to uh, James' podcast, the uh, Talking Tabletop show, uh, along with the episodes that I was on. And if I'm feeling kind, maybe the ones that Chris was on. Probably not, but, you know, I'll just go ahead and dangle that out there for hey, both whatever. of you Chris fans. Make them and, look for it. They'll find some good ones in there if they if they search around. There's plenty of uh, good ep- episodes in there to listen yeah. to. And, and then there's ones yours on. But, uh, so, Which are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. I, I really had a lot of fun on this show. Absolutely. This is off the bucket list. I'm I'm here with with podcast royalty. You all are like the the podcast, and I've been listening to you all for years. I'm finally like, hey, I'm I'm on Fear the Boot for some stupid reason. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Broder's <laughs> <laughs> lady die. <laughs> As for you guys at home, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you double worshippers next time. <laughs> I just realized why my hat has bells. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.